Hi everyone, Christo here from uh, Master One Thing. Today we have the honor to have uh, Ross Pelton as a guest in the podcast. He has uh, a background as a pharmacist and has uh, written 12 health books. In today's uh, podcast, we are going to discuss uh, his uh, recent uh, book about uh, rapamycin and uh, the longevity effects behind it. I think uh, it's uh, great to start with uh, Ross uh, Pelton uh, when it comes to this uh, rapamycin series because Ross has a great talent uh, in um, uh, explaining things in a, a simple way so it's uh, much easier to understand if you're new to the topic. So welcome to the show Ross. It's an honor to have you on. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you and hope we can provide some interesting information for your viewers. Yeah, great. If we take a look at uh, what uh, rapamycin is, uh, can you explain uh, how it was uh, discovered and uh, what it is? Sure. Well, rapamycin is a compound that's produced by a strain of soil bacteria. So it's not a pharmaceutical, something new made in the laboratory. This is something that occurs naturally in nature. It was actually discovered on Easter Island when a group of scientists traveled there a number of years ago, looking for sources for new antibiotics and new antifungal drugs. So they took a lot of soil samples on Easter Island and took them back to Canada to their labs. And they discovered that one of the um, soil bacteria, one of the strains of soil bacteria produced this compound that they named rapamycin. And the name comes from the fact that the indigenous, the indigenous people on Easter Island call their home Rapa Nui. So they gave the name rapamycin to the drug. Um, so it was being developed as an antifungal drug. And then they found out that it suppresses the immune system. So that caused them to stop all of the research. Um, but a number of years later, it got FDA approved for people that get kidney transplants because people who have an organ transplant need to be on immune suppressing drugs continually to prevent the rejection of their new organ. And so it's FDA approved for kidney transplant patients and then samples of rapamycin were sent off to the National Cancer Institute. And they got very excited about it and actually put it on a fast track for research because they discovered that rapamycin is the first example of a totally new type of chemotherapy. Most chemotherapy drugs are called cytotoxic. They kill. And they don't just kill cancer cells. They kill bone marrow cells and the cells that line your intestines and any rapidly turning over cells get damaged with chemotherapy with cytotoxic drugs. Rapamycin is not cytotoxic, it's cytostatic. It stops the cancer growth without all the killing. And so back in the early 2000s, the FDA approved rapamycin for the treatment of several different types of solid tumor cancers. These FDA approvals have kind of worked against getting rapamycin 
um, accepted and used as a life extension drug because you usually don't give chemotherapy or a drug for prevention of organ rejection to people who are life extension enthusiasts. But a, a scientist did a study that really kind of broke open this whole new area of research when they found out that taking rapamycin just once a week instead of every single day results in some tremendous health benefits. And so there's been 25 or 30 years of research now into the mechanism of action of rapamycin. How does it do what it does? And how does it create life extension? And this has resulted in what I think is a far more important bit of information than just the drug rapamycin itself. Rapamycin is very interesting. It is the most effective life extension drug that's ever been discovered. But in understanding the mechanism of how it works, there's a totally new understanding of cellular metabolism, of life, and the aging process. So let's start at the beginning here. When rapamycin gets absorbed across a cellular membrane, it binds with a protein. So they named that protein mTOR. And mTOR stands for the mechanistic target of rapamycin. It's just the name they gave to this protein inside cells that rapamycin binds to. But it turns out that mTOR is a master signal compound inside cells that senses when nutrients are available to the cell. So when nutrients are available, mTOR sends out signals that says, use these nutrients to build, to grow, to proliferate, to make new cellular components. And the other half of the equation, in addition to mTOR, a Japanese scientist won the Nobel Prize for his discovery of autophagy. And autophagy is a mechanism inside cells that starts to get activated when nutrients are not available. And autophagy is a cellular mechanism where the cell is able to target old, misfolded, or damaged cellular components and break them down and either reutilize the cellular components to make new proteins and new enzymes and so forth, or get things out of the cell, detoxify the cell. So autophagy is a, a major mechanism of detoxification for every cell in your body. So for hundreds of thousands of years of mankind's evolution, this mTOR and autophagy were balanced and things were working well. But in the last several thousand years, there's been a number of changes in mankind. One is the domestication of animals and farming. And then more recently in World War II and after World War II, every household started to have refrigerators and freezers so you could store food. And then processed food industry got into gear. And now you can go and find food 24 hours a day in convenience stores, all this processed food. Those changes have made a significant difference. Um, our ancestral humans didn't get up in the morning and open the refrigerator and start to make breakfast. You know, They had, a, they had to constantly work every single day to find food. And so they didn't eat three meals a day. They maybe ate once to one meal a day, and sometimes they might have gone a couple of days without finding food. So that's the balance of mTOR and autophagy. But now people eat all the time. 
breakfast, lunch, dinner, in-between meals, snacks, dessert, and alcohol drinks. And so, so now mTOR is constantly stimulated because people are eating all the time. So autophagy doesn't get activated. We don't get the detoxification. We get, don't get the revitalization and renewal of our body on a regular basis. That's totally out of balance in modern humans. And so rapamycin can help people rebalance that because rapamycin goes into the cell, binds with mTOR and partially inhibits it. So act, uh, the um, autophagy starts to be activated. And you, we, before we started the recording, you talked about your experience with intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. And I talk about these things in my book because that's the natural way to bring mTOR and autophagy back into balance spend um, more time without nutrients coming in and condense the time that you consume nutrients into a smaller window of time so you've got more time with no nutrients available so autophagy gets activated. But a lot of people are not going to discipline themselves to fast and rapamycin does this for you and it's very effective. Um, there are many animal models that show that rapamycin either slows down the aging process, all types of age-related diseases. It, in some cases, reverses them. So it's one of the most exciting things that's ever happened in the life extension anti-aging movement. And it's just starting to be recognized now, not as a cancer drug and not for organ transplant replacement, but one of the most important drugs for longevity. And it's not just increasing lifespan, it's increasing health span, more healthy years. And so that's the, the rapamycin story in a nutshell. No, that's a, that was a really great summary of the uh, rapamycin and mTOR and, uh, uh, and also your book. Uh, very, very good. If we, if we go a little bit uh, back uh, on uh, what you were uh, talking about, that uh, you, you said that um, high chronic uh, doses versus uh, in, intermittent uh, weekly dosing, that uh, the dose makes the difference. Exactly. Can you can you explain a little bit uh, what you mean uh, with that? Sure. Um, um, a scientist by the name of Joan Manick did the first human clinical trial that kind of broke open this whole area. She did a study with elderly adults and tried several different doses, some daily doses, some weekly doses, some high, some low, and she gave all of these participants the seasonal flu vaccine and then measured how their immune system responded. And it turns out that the people that were taking five milligrams once a week had about a 20, over a 20% boost in their immune system. And for elderly people to get a significant boost in the function of their immune system, that's very significant for their long-term health and their survival. So that was the first study that really explained that at the right dosage, taking five milligrams once a week, it was kind of the sweet spot where people got the biggest boost to their immune system. And so subsequent to that study, uh, 
people are most people who take rapamycin are taking six milligrams once a week it comes in two milligram tablets so you take three tablets once a week but i also want to emphasize that we don't have all the answers this is such a new area i would think that at some time in the future we'll be able to individualize doses so your dose optimum for you christopher may be different than mine because we have different types of metabolism and so we don't know the the correct dosage we don't even know the correct frequency should it be once a week or once every 10 days we don't know these answers yet um, human clinical trials are just starting to get started but taking six milligrams once a week is, seems to be a very safe and effective range for most people and I'll tell your listeners the best place to get information about this and stay up to date on rapamycin there's an online forum called rapamycin.news and there's hundreds and hundreds of people taking rapamycin rapamycin scientists and and researchers weigh in on here and there's a search term where you can put in a question and see if there's any uh, comments on the forum already that address your question, or you can ask a new question and people from all over the world are likely to respond. So rapamycin news is something I like to tell people about because it's probably the best site to get uh, in-depth information about rapamycin. Yeah, really good uh, recommendation there. Uh, I have also been on that uh, site and uh, got uh, lots of uh, good information there so yeah, yeah. yeah really really good but uh, what what uh, doses are uh, are they using for uh, organ transplant uh, patients i you know, i'm not sure exactly what the dose is but they take it every single day but i'm not sure how high the dose is that's the difference between uh, what people take in the longevity field and uh, and uh, organ transplant uh, patients. Yeah, because if you take it every single day, then you suppress mTOR a lot, and that's what then you if you if you interfere or block mTOR totally, then you have immune system suppression. Uh, because, for example, um, cancer is a proliferative disease. The cancer cells rapidly multiply. Well, mTOR cells signals use the nutrients to build and grow. You, if you block mTOR, you shut that down, so you, you shut down cancer metabolism also. So that's the mechanism why it's used for cancer as a cancer drug. But there's, um, in animal models, we find that virtually all types of age-related diseases, whether metabolic diseases, neurological diseases, different kinds of cancer, all types of diseases in animal models have responded well to rapamycin. So very exciting work going on. There's uh, up at the University of Washington, they've started the dog aging process or the, the dog aging trial. And they want to get 100,000 companion dogs entered into this trial, which is just people and their pets. And one of the unique things about studying dogs is that they live only about one-seventh as long as humans, so we can do the trial faster. And they have very similar biology to us in terms of cellular metabolism and proteins and enzymes and so forth. 
and the dog lives in the same environment as its owner. So that kind of takes a variable out of the research. And so they're collecting an enormous amount of data on dogs and the dog aging process and hope to be able to translate that into human aging. Do, do the uh, dogs also take uh, rapamycin uh, once weekly or? Great question. There's, there's one arm of the trial where they're testing rapamycin with the dogs. And, and the other part of the trial, they're just recording how much the dog eats, how often it eats, how often the, the owner has it exercise, everything they can think of to measure uh, that will give them information about the health of the dog and the aging process of the dog is, is being recorded. Okay. Do, do we know when that uh, trial will be completed? No, I just spoke with the organizer of the trial and they are still accepting dogs. You can go online to Dog Aging Project and click on a link if you want to enroll your dog. And there's a, a form you fill out and, and the breed of your dog and the weight of your dog and and the, the health history of your dog. And and then they decide if he's appropriate to be included in the trial. And But they're still looking for participants. And just have people search for the Dog Aging Project. I will uh, put that up in the link in the description so it's easier to find. Um, regarding um, rapamycin, uh, what what would you say is the common misconception regarding uh, rapamycin? It's a good question. Yeah, there's common misconception is that first of all most physicians aren't familiar with it. It's a prescription drug. You have to get a prescription for it. Most doctors aren't willing to write a prescription for it because they haven't heard of it. And the doctors that have heard of it are mostly familiar with it as chemotherapy or organ transplant. So they don't, they're not familiar with how it can give health benefits when it's just taken episodically once one dose per week. So it's an educational process. And that's what my book is designed to do, to accelerate people's learning curve about rapamycin. Um, one thing <clears throat> that happened, um, I'll re share with you, there's a doctor in Houston, Texas, has a big wellness center. His name is Dr. Steve Holtze and the Holtze Wellness Center. Uh, one of his doctors read my book and he brought it to Dr. Holtze and said, you've got to read this book. Dr. Holtze read it and realized how important it is. He purchased 600 copies of my book and sent them out to 600 different physicians. So that's one example of how the word starts to spread. And now a number of the doctors at the Holtze Clinic are using rapamycin themselves and they're prescribed it for some of their patients or their guests that come to their clinic. And, and of course, I get on podcasts and interviews and talk shows and talk about it whenever I can to spread the word. And I encourage people that buy my book to tell other people about it. It's a, a word of mouth educational process. When do you think uh, it will be, what do you say, more uh, um, that the knowledge uh, about it uh, will have increased uh, that much that uh, physicians know the difference between uh, different uh, dose protocols and uh, the different effects. Uh. Yeah, it, it's hard to make a, an accurate guess about that. Um, 
in some ways, this is a revolution in our understanding of cellular metabolism with mTOR and autophagy and the aging process. And revolutions take time. Um, like Isaac Newton's new theories took decades to be understood and accepted. And Einstein's ideas took decades. And so this is a new theory and a new field of research and so um, I'm just dedicated and passionate about working for the rest of my life to educate people about it. I send out uh, proposals to be a speaker at different medical conferences and health conferences so I can get in front of audiences and explain this. And I take advantage of invitations like you've offered me so I can get on here and talk about it. And you spread the word uh, through your network. So uh, it's an educational process for sure. Um, for people that have trouble finding a doctor who will write a prescription for rapamycin. There are some doctors in the U.S. that will do telemed telemedicine conference calls with a patient. And I think the one I'm most familiar with, the doctor charges $150. And at the end of the conference call, he will write and send the person a three-month prescription for rapamycin. Um, Alan Green is a, a physician that I profiled in my book, and he's a, a very knowledgeable physician about rapamycin. He had a lot of health problems himself and started taking rapamycin, got tremendous improvement in his own health. He now over he has over 1,200 patients taking rapamycin. Uh, so that's having a big effect, I think. Uh, he was uh, was wasn't he one of the first uh, physicians who started to uh, move this uh, field forward i think yes he's he's been a key figure um another thing i'll mention to people um some people uh, who don't find a doctor who will write a prescription for rapamycin for them on the online forum, Rapamycin News, there's a lot of people that talk about ordering rapamycin without a prescription from generic drug companies in India. And all of the reports are pretty positive. It takes six to eight weeks for them to get their shipment in the mail, but they come through. It's not being confiscated by customs and immigration. And so a lot of people are, I think an increasing number of people are just getting rapamycin from some of these overseas drug companies. Are you taking uh, rapamycin? Sure, I've been taking it for almost two years now. Two years, though. And a lot of people ask, well, what do you feel? And I've had some weight loss and the, the animal ex um, experiments document the fact that the primary weight loss comes from visceral abdominal fat around the waist area. That's the type of fat you want to lose. So that's a good thing. But in terms of actually feeling different, on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't feel any different, but I try to get people to understand the science behind it. It's like when you take a dose of vitamin C or you take your vitamin D capsule, do you feel any different the next day? You probably don't, but you take it because you understand why it's important. And so that's why rapamycin is important. It's not so much for huge benefits all at once. It's day by day by day slowing down your a biological aging process every cell in your body starts to work better when you start to get activation of autophagy 
which is starting to detoxify cells and utilize cellular components to build healthy new proteins and healthy new enzymes. And when you don't activate autophagy, the cells start to get clogged up with damaged cellular components that aren't working well. Proteins get misfolded and enzymes can't work correctly. And so this is really revitalization and renewal of your body um, when you start to reactivate autophagy. Uh, what uh, what dose protocol uh, are you on uh, currently? I'm taking uh, three tablets, uh, six milligrams once per week. And uh, have you have you felt any side effects or uh, anything like that? No, no side effects. And but that's a good point to bring up, Krister. Um, it is possible to take too much rapamycin. And six milligrams for me seems to be fine, but six milligrams for somebody else could possibly um, be too much because if somebody is doing intermittent fasting and strength training and um, lots of different things, uh, maybe they don't need quite as much rapamycin. Uh, the side effects to look for are low levels of hemoglobin, uh, low iron count in your blood test, um, elevated uh, triglyceride levels. Uh, so lab tests uh, can track some of your progress and be a, a warning flag if some of those things start to get um, out of the normal range in your blood tests. Yeah, so uh, taking uh, before uh, people start, they should do blood uh, tests so they know the baseline and see. That's always a good idea. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good idea to, to have a baseline and and I would rather have people work with a physician so that physicians start to get familiar with it also. But I certainly understand a lot of people wanting to take it on their, their own recognizance if they can't find a physician that will work with them. That's, uh, that sounds good. Uh, when, uh, when you decided to start uh, taking uh, rapamycin, you said it was around uh, two years ago. Um, if we look at the human research, it's uh, it's still quite uh, early. Uh, we need more research, as you said. We don't have all the answers, um, so uh, it's uh, it's always a little bit a risk to take something that we don't know so much about. How how was your thoughts around that when you took that decision to take? To, to go into an area where you don't know that much yet? Well, I, um, I've i known about rapamycin for six or seven years. I, I first learned about it when I was attending a life extension conference in Las Vegas um, way before COVID, um, about five or six years ago. So I kind of knew about it, but I really hadn't studied it a lot. But two years ago, something sparked my interest. I listened to a couple of podcasts on the uh, Peter Atia program. He has a podcast called The Drive, and he interviewed Matt Caberline and Joan Manick, some of the key scientists in rapamycin field. And listening to their those podcasts and the, the scientists that have been studying and working with rapamycin, I got a firmer understanding of the science behind it and why it works. And because I'm a pharmacist, I have a background in biochemistry. And, and so all this stuff started to make sense. And 
so I started to pay more attention to rapamycin and be more aggressive about finding more information about it. And then one day I realized there have been thousands and thousands of scientific papers written on mTOR and rapamycin and autophagy, but nobody would written a book about it. Nobody explained it to the general public. So that became my passion. And I wrote this book, which has most of the significant research and the history of it, how it was discovered and um, different types of diseases that it can potentially help. And uh, so that's that was my path and where I developed this passion to write this book. Yeah, so that uh, that's quite a great thing because then... Uh... And not everyone needs to dig so deep as you did. They can read the the book to begin with and get a quite good uh, picture about the areas. Exactly. Yeah. And um, when we're done with our interview here, Krista, I'll send you links to several articles that have been written. Um, one is an interview with me that was published in Life Extension magazine. And then I've had articles that I wrote that were published in a couple of different medical journals. And I can send the links to you so that you can post those on the show notes. And then um, if people want to learn more, they could read one of these articles, which is like four, five, six pages. And that might stimulate them in their interest to go out and purchase the book. Yes, really good, really good. If we, one, one thing that... Um... I know that uh, you practice uh, fasting as uh, I do, uh, and um, one uh, one side effect that uh, can uh, happen uh, is that uh, it creates some kind of uh, insulin uh, resistance, uh, pseudo diabetes. Uh, uh, can that also happen uh, when it comes to rapamycin? I, I've not been familiar with that. I haven't heard of that happening as, as a side effect of rapamycin. Um, I really got much more interested in fasting as a result of learning about it in the process of writing my book. And so since I'm a healthcare educator and pharmacist and so forth. I've known about fasting for decades, but I just thought it would be a miserable experience being hungry all the time. But um, about six months ago, I started experimenting with fasting myself. I've been doing the 16-8 the program for quite a while since I started writing my book. But my wife was gone for a couple of weeks on a um, actually a Spanish language intensive. So um, she was gone for a couple of weeks. So I decided one week I would try a two-day fast. So I went 48 hours, two complete days with only drinking water or herbal tea or coffee with no other additives. I was amazed at how easy it was for me. And the following week I did a three-day fast. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy for everyone, but for me, a two or three day fast is very easy. And I realized that like most people, I like my food. So I'll walk into the kitchen and grab a handful of nuts or have a piece of fruit. And and yet when I set my mind to not eat, it was easy for me to turn it off. And so I probably will do a two or three day fast, maybe 
once every six weeks or so for the rest of my life. I, I think it's a very good thing to do a little bit longer fast occasionally. And um, if we look at the, uh, there are some similarities between uh, fasting and rapamycin uh, that they both, uh, for example, inhibit uh, mTOR and uh, and activate uh, autophagy. Can you can you explain a little bit uh, around that? Exactly. Well, you 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 explained it pretty well yourself. Um, rapamycin binds to mTOR and activates autophagy. So rapamycin is a, um, a calorie restriction mimetic because when you restrict calories, mTOR doesn't get activated, autophagy does get activated. That's the same thing that rapamycin does. It stops mTOR and activates autophagy. So they, they call rapamycin a calorie restriction or a, um, a fasting mimetic because it essentially does the same thing. It shuts down mTOR and activates autophagy. One, one question that uh, I think the audience is interested in uh, then is that why, why take uh, rapamycin if I can fast instead? Uh, that's a good question. We don't have all, all the answers yet, but in my mind, I want to do everything possible to improve my health and slow down my process of biological aging. So in addition to fasting, I also do rapamycin. I also lift weights and work out regularly. Exercise is critically important. Um, and I'm fanatical about eating healthy, organically grown food. And there's a lot of different parts of health and life extension, not just rapamycin. So I, I advocate what I call an integrative life extension program. And um, maybe on another episode sometime, we could talk about a couple of other topics like uh, glutathione is incredibly important. It's the, one of the most important multitasking compounds in the body and it regulates all your detoxification. It's the most prevalent antioxidant in your body. It, um, very strong antiviral characteristics. So that's another whole topic. I'm very passionate about the gut microbiome. Um, and I'll send a link um, that you can supply on the show notes. I've recently written an article, The Microbiome Theory of Aging. And this got published in a medical journal called Integrative Medicine. And uh, encourage everybody to read it because it talks about all the problems that happen when people do not create and maintain a healthy gut microbiome. And, uh, and my company um, that I'm the scientific director for is named Essential Formulas. They're based in Dallas, Texas. And they have what I think is the best probiotic in the world called Dr. O'Hara's Probiotics. It's made in Japan utilizing a multi-year fermentation process. They have big 80-gallon fermentation vats, and they add lots of different types of Japanese fruits and vegetables and mushrooms and seaweeds and 12 starter strains of bacteria, and the bacteria get to digest and ferment these foods for three to five years before they encapsulate the product. And during that fermentation process, the bacteria are breaking down some of the components in the food and creating what we call postbiotic metabolites. 
these are critical health regulating compounds. It's not the bacteria, but it's the compounds the bacteria make that are really critical health regulating compounds. And so Dr. Uhura's fermentation process really mimics the fermentation process that goes on in the human digestive tract in the colon. So it's, uh, it, but can talk about more about that at another time, but I'll send you some links so people can get some free information. I've got a booklet I wrote about that, that people can get the free booklet. Yeah, you you have a big uh, bookshelf uh, with <laughs> twelve <laughs> books, uh, Ross. That's uh, that's great. Um, one um, one thing about the um, uh, other uh, mTOR inhibitors, like you you talked about uh, exercise. When you do exercise, you trigger uh, inhib inhibition of mTOR. And you do the exercise, but when on the recovery phase, you build up the muscles. Uh, so uh, there there are lots of different ways to uh, inhibit the mTOR. Like uh, also, I think uh, uh, sauna, sauna use, warm exposure. So yeah, and I, I have an infrared sauna downstairs oh. that I use regularly. Another way to do it is cold. Yeah, exactly. I don't like cold, but, I don't, <laughs> but but if you jump into freezing water, it stresses your body to produce heat shock proteins. And that's, that's known to be a, a life extension protocol. And some people go from hot to cold back and forth. And that I, I can't stand the cold, but I do infrared saunas on a regular basis. That's another really good procedure. I think in Finland and over in the Scandinavian country, you people are much more uh, advocates of regular sauna use. Yeah, I, um, my parents are from Finland, so uh, we have the sauna uh, culture uh, there. So I have it in my blood. I love I love the warm exposure, but I try also to push myself uh, to. Uh, yeah, take the cold uh, showers and things like that too. Yeah, and uh, also other other things uh, you mentioned like uh, food food uh, ingredients uh, like uh, I think is garlic uh, for example. Uh, uh, there's inhibitor. a lot of foods like that. Um, in my microbiome theory of aging, I talk about the diet for your microbiome. It's a real paradigm shift starting to happen. For many decades, people think about the food they eat in terms of carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, the macronutrients, or vitamins and minerals and trace minerals and, and, and essential fatty acids and amino acids and so forth. They think about the nutrients that they need for their biochemistry. But what's starting to be recognized as equally important, every time you eat, you're feeding 100 trillion guests, so 100 trillion bacteria in your gastrointestinal system, in your microbiome. And I have numerous studies that say that 90 to 95% of American children and adults do not consume enough of the types of food that feed their microbiome. And it's primarily plant-based foods that contain dietary fibers and polyphenols. Those are the two main food groups for your microbiome. But most people aren't eating those. Excuse me, let me get rid of a call here. No problem. 
Um, so with most people not consuming adequate amounts of plant-based foods and, you know, fast food restaurants are just everywhere. I did some research and found out that there's an average of 4,000 fast food restaurants in every state in the United States. I don't know how widespread they are in, in Europe, but um, millions and millions of people are eating fast food, junk food, processed food all the time. And, so, and you can call it mTOR food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not feeding their microbiome. No, no. When no. they have an upset microbiome, my microbiome theory of aging talks about the cascade of events that lead to accelerated aging when you don't have a good healthy microbiome. And with people eating the wrong types of food. They have the more bad bacteria than good bacteria, and that creates gut inflammation that causes intestinal permeability and lots of health problems. And we have an epidemic of epidemics. You know, the health of mankind is not doing well. We've got an epidemic of heart disease and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and, and ADD and ADHD and autism and rheumatism, arthritis. It, there's a all these diseases that are critical and a lot of the reason is that people are not eating a healthy diet and keeping and maintaining a healthy gut microbiome and how uh, how is it uh, if uh, if the mTOR is uh, over expressed uh, does it get uh, does the mTOR increase year by year when you get older or? Uh... Um, I don't know the answer. I haven't seen any studies on that. The thing that seems to be more prevalent is that just people eat all the time. And so mTOR is constantly being overexpressed and autophagy is not getting activated. I, I haven't seen any studies that talk about it over time as people age, and that's a good and thing that, to- uh, accelerates the uh, aging then, or? Pardon? Uh, does that accelerate the uh, aging? It, it accelerates the aging process. When, when mTOR is constantly overactivated, it accelerates tissue breakdown and all the diseases of mankind are to some degree related to overactivation of mTOR. And uh, when you take, for example, rapamycin, exercise, uh, practice fasting, and cold ex exposure and things like that, uh, you, you talked a little bit about that you can do too much of that. How how do you know when uh, when you do too much of uh, the autophagy? Number one, track how you feel. And if you feel that something's not right, then that's your first indicator. But I also encourage people, like we talked a little bit earlier, blood tests. Get your lab work done. Have a good baseline of lab work done beforehand. And then maybe six weeks after you start rapamycin, get another lab test and compare the two. Make sure you're not getting low hemoglobin, low iron levels, elevated triglycerides. Those are some of the things to look for. Yeah, that's a uh, very good uh, tips there. Uh, do you... 
what is the most uh, common uh, question you get around uh, rapamycin if we go back to that how can i find a doctor to write a prescription for rapamycin for me <laughs> and your answer is buy my book uh, well <laughs> yes because I, what i do i say buy my book let, give it to your physician so your physician can get educated about it so your physician can see there's good solid science explaining why occasionally taking rapamycin once a week rather than daily provides significant health benefits it explains mTOR and autophagy and then it all starts to make sense is there uh, some people that shouldn't take uh, rapamycin that's a good question Krista. i'm glad you brought that up um you'd never give mTOR to children or even young adults because that's a time of rapid growth phase and you, if you block mTOR, you're interfering with that. So I don't think it's appropriate for people to start taking rapamycin until they're young adults to middle age. It, it varies depending on their health problems and so forth. But uh, I'd say late 20s, early 30s um, is a fine time for most people to start considering taking rapamycin. Yeah. I have re recently uh, started uh, my rapamycin journey also. So uh, I, I I started with uh, one uh, one milligram uh, weekly. So and I ease up my dose uh, slowly. How do you? Uh, uh, I have heard that some some start with the target dose uh, directly and some use the easing uh, strategy well, have you heard uh, um, if uh, one is better than the other or i i'm familiar with what you're discussing i haven't seen any studies that determines that one is better than the other and there's nothing wrong with starting out at a low dose and gradually increasing it but in my experience there's no people have not experienced problems by starting right away with six milligrams once per week so um, i'm i recommend that but if people are a little want to be a little more cautious then they can start low and gradually build up to it i think uh, in most cases alan green uh, prescribes uh, the target uh, dose uh, directly and Alan Green is now recommending that elderly people can probably benefit by taking even larger doses, um, maybe as much as 10 milligrams once a week. Um, I don't have any personal experience with that, so I'm not recommending it yet, but I'm keeping an eye on all the comments from Dr. Green, and and uh, hopefully he'll be posting some of the results from his patients that are taking higher doses, and we'll learn more. Do, do you know uh, why elderly people uh, should take higher doses um i don't know the rationale for it um, um I, I don't know i haven't asked dr green uh, but that's a good question to ask on the rapamycin.news forum see what he responds uh yeah i will uh, the goal is to also interview alan green uh, in this uh, rapamycin series so let's uh, ask him uh, when uh, he 
his guest in uh, this I spoke podcast. with him just about a week ago, and he's also writing a book right now. So it'll be uh-huh, interesting okay. when, when his book comes out. The, when uh, will that uh, be pu- published? Uh, he doesn't know yet. He's still involved in the writing process. So uh, just, uh, but he'll he'll notify us when it's ready. And your your book was uh, you published a book uh, uh, last year. Last year, and we're getting ready to do a, a second edition of it. Um, so probably maybe in two three weeks uh, we doing a second edition. I'm going to have some new information in the second edition. There's so much research coming out so fast, it's hard to keep up. That's, uh, and we will probably can have uh, another interview also in the future uh, about the new stuff in uh, the second edition. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, great. But um really great uh, conversation uh, about the rapamycin uh, uh, field i think uh, we have given uh, the uh, general public a little bit uh, better knowledge uh, about uh, rapamycin and uh, its uh, potential uh, longevity effects and uh, in your book uh, they can read uh, more in detail about uh, what it is and uh, studies behind and uh, yeah, different uh, tips and tricks that you have uh, gathered. If people want to order my book, um, they can call Life Extension. And in addition to ordering my book, they'll get a free six month prescription to the Life Extension magazine. Ah, okay. I'll send that information for you to post on the show notes after we're done. That's great. Uh, how how can pe- people find you online, Ross? Um, my personal website is naturalpharmacist.net. My bio, my blog, and uh, there on my website. Okay, I will put that also in the show notes so Good. that uh, people can find it. Great. Then uh, take care, my friend, and uh, I hope you all well. You too, Christopher. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and uh, we'll touch base again.